Welcome back to season four of Game Level Learn, the podcast about games, gamification, education, and all the ways in which those things go together. My name is John Cassie, and I'm joined as always by a special guest and my dear friend and co-host. Tracy Wazenegger. Hi, Trace. Hi. How's it going? You know, here yeah. we are, week four of virtual school. Right. We're right. hanging on. Right. Not by a thread, but you're hanging on. We're hanging on. Yeah, yeah. it's weird. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it remains a, huh, it's yes. going okay. It feels sort of strange. Right. Kind of experience, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, as, I think it's, um, you know, I, I would have told you before, that the best part about my job was the students, right? But I think yeah. you don't realize how fulfilling those daily interactions are. Those in, let me say, those in-person daily interactions are. <laughs> yeah. And how much you miss that when you don't have them. Yeah, the the sort of the informal, the in the hallway, the banter, right? right? Yeah. The um, uh, laughing with a class full of students. Right, yeah. right. Um, because yeah. of something that could only happen in a physical environment, right? Right. 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 Um, I have found that my own students uh, in my present work, uh, because the class is small enough, we still get that a little bit, but it's not the same. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think holding on is probably is probably apt for for me, too. Yeah. Yeah. We were in the we were in the environment for three weeks before our spring break, which ended. That's you know, right. Today you was just... our first day back. Okay. Yeah. How we many were... weeks have you guys been virtual schooling? Uh, we did three before break. Then... Okay. And now we're back from break, and we're back in it. Right. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, we were well prepared. We were uh, we were in good order. It was it was. Uh, it was not a trauma like it was at some schools to go into the environment. Right, right. right. Um, but I think that, you know, the colleagues I spoke to today were like, oh, r- right, okay, yeah, prepping. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, remembering, you know, how how much work it requires, right? Right. Yeah. And as we've said, we're both really lucky. We're at independent schools where... Most of our families have resources and our school right. has the resource to support students in right. Right. You know, online environments. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, our guest today, uh, Robbie Borth. Doing jazz hands. Jazz hands, because Robbie's, Robbie's awesome, Robbie. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robbie Borth uh, is also an, an educator in an independent school, uh, in his case in Florida. So we've got... Three states and two time zones represented on this episode of Game Over no, Learn. Florida's the same time zone. Yeah, two time zones. Oh, I thought you said three. My fault. My fault. No. Three states, two time zones. My fault. Trace. Come on. <laughs> Back you're, to Robbie. You're on report. And Robbie, uh, Robbie yes. Borth, welcome to Game welcome. Level Learn. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah, delighted to have you here. Now, Robbie, you and I met at Anyone's Game, correct? Correct. Yeah, yes. where I was talking about SEL and role-playing games. And after I finished that chat, you came up and we had a really, really exciting conversation about the ways in which you're using role-playing games and games, uh, uh, you know, generally in your classroom. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts, as I'm sure the audience will be as well, because you're doing some neat stuff. So 
so, I mean, I've said who you are, Robbie Borth, but give us some of your background. Where are you teaching? What are you okay. teaching? How long have you been in the business? That kind of thing. Okay, I'm a, a high school English teacher at uh, Trinity Preparatory School in Winter Park, Florida, which is close to Orlando. I, I was kind of going back. I, I can't keep dates straight, especially <laughs> dates about myself straight. Uh, but I, I started teaching at, at Trinity Prep in 2001. So I'm, I'm rapidly closing in on my second decade here. Nice. And I uh, currently... Uh, I'm teaching AP English language and composition to juniors, and I'm also teaching uh, honors English to ninth graders. Uh, I, I, I kind of think of myself as uh, a kind of utility player in the uh, upper school. The, the school I'm, I'm at goes uh, middle school through high school, but I, ah. I kind of have during my time here have kind of bounced around a little bit different grade levels. Uh, I, I feel like the, the chair of my department kind of sees me as somebody who, if, if he needs somebody to kind of uh, fill in somewhere and, and he can't find somebody, I'm, I'm kind of the one he tends to call to do that type of thing. That's an important role. Uh, you know, when I was, uh, you know, before I was a principal or a dean or any of that kind of stuff, uh, I always filled that role. Right. Uh, oh, you need a little of this and a little of that. Oh, you, okay. Yeah, I, I guess I can do three, four preparations this year. I'll, yeah, I'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. Don't sweat it. Well, you know. Yeah, and I think some of it is is also just being. Uh, I, I am always kind of interested in new things and new experiences. Mm -hmm. So you know, having you know a, a new prep on the table is is not something that I balk at. I usually get excited about yeah, a, a new. Uh, adventure in teaching yeah you and i are the same way in that regard and tracy i mean you've done you've expanded your your portfolio significantly in the eight years that we've known each other i mean oh the, yeah the tracy like, i like met global issues and, right yeah yeah i mean the tracy yeah. that interviewed me to come to swickley and the tracy <laughs> i'm doing this with now you have got i mean you have done like 20 years of career growth in half the time right Thank you. You're welcome. It's, I mean, it's just, it's I mean, every, sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but yeah. Right. I mean, that's true. I mean, Rob, Robbie, you, right. you must have that sort of feeling as well that, uh, you, you know, you, you do sort of a couple of new preps and you're, you're trying some new methods and you're doing the work. And then after doing it three or four years, you look back and it's like, oh, wow, look at that growth. Right. Yeah. It didn't feel like it when I was doing it because it was so incremental. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And certainly the, the teachers that I talk to about game-based learning, uh, you know, or gamified instruction, they, they, they make the same, the same point, that they look back on what they were doing two years ago. They're like, oh, well, that wasn't so bad, but it's not where I am now. It's not right. as good as it is now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this year in particular now with, with uh, remote learning, I, I feel like we're always like, you know, we, we've kind of like mid-year had a... Not entirely a new prep, but certainly that a new uh, way of delivering our instruction has kind of come upon us where we've had to have that kind of uh, uh, pivot uh, kind of right in the middle of the stream. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, so John just mentioned game-based learning. Ravi, how did you like get into game-based learning, gamification, did, have you been doing this for a while? Is it new for you? 
Uh, well, I, I, I have a long history playing games. I mean, my, my history playing role-playing games goes all the way back to early high school. I was on the chess team in high school. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I was always kind of interested in games. Uh, I kind of dropped out of it as a hobby for a while when mm-hmm. I, particularly when I went to graduate school early mm-hmm. in my teaching career. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um I, I think it would have been about, I want to say about eight uh, or nine years ago that uh, a teacher came to Trinity, a very seasoned teacher came from Ohio who uh, brought diplomacy with him. And mm. he used uh, diplomacy <laughs> in his classroom to teach uh, World War One history, but uh, it, it quickly spilled out of his classroom and kind of into uh, – became a kind of club and uh at that point i i being interested in games myself i kind of embraced the idea of of being the co-sponsor of the game club and uh i mean to this day i mean my my classroom break lunch after school it's it's you know a lot of game playing that's going on i mean diplomacy has been at at, at the heart of that but uh, we've also had uh, various uh, strategy games that we play. And in the past few years, I've also kind of gotten the group into role-playing games as well. And, and I would say also that in this remote environment, the, the game club that I sponsor continues to go strong. I mean, I, I'm still meeting Sunday afternoons with uh, – I set up – a a Google meet with the students and I have a pack of students that are kind of showing up and we kind of uh, gather everybody together and say, okay, you know, what what do people want to play? And then they'll, they'll kind of organize and I'll try to help organize them into breakout rooms. But, you know, we'll have role playing games still going on in the remote environment. We have diplomacy going on in the remote environment. Uh, People learning how to play Shogi, which is the Japanese chess Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that has been going on. Uh, so, you know, I, I have uh, one aspect of, of you know, games and education for me is uh, in the game club environment. But I've also just in my own teaching can, been bringing uh, games into my uh, classroom. Uh, I have um, over the past uh, couple years I've uh, when teaching Beowulf to my mm. ninth grade students, I thought, boy, that's a really challenging uh, text for them to to wrap their heads around. Partly because the the kind of world that it's dealing with is so alien that that uh, Anglo-Saxon world. And I, um, having played a lot of games, I was like, well, I, I I could do something with this. I could take some mechanics and and mix something together. And so I've come up with a. Uh, a Beowulf game that we'll play in the classroom where the, 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 the students get divided up into different tribes mm. and there's a kind of resource management aspect to it, but then they get confronted with all of these, these challenges and uh, they have to do some role playing in the game as well. And there's a kind of resolution mechanic that I've worked out so that as they as they kind of are dealing with these challenges, we kind of figure out uh, did, to, to what extent did they or did they not uh, succeed. And uh, it, I also have it set up so that 
at certain points, uh, players can get eliminated from their tribes, but then they become part of the Grendel monster tribe, which they awesome. find great fun because <laughs> because the monsters, what, what they end up doing is they, they do things to foul up the other tribes as, as they're desperately trying to kind of deal with certain challenges that they face. The, the monster tribe can kind of kind of enter into to make it even more challenging and difficult for them. Tracy, I, I, I'm sure I'm not speaking for myself when I, I say, if I went to this school, <laughs> I would be all I would be all in. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, Robbie, what a what an environment you're you're creating down there. Good grief. Yeah. And, you know, one of the challenges, um, you know, in a, in a game club, you can play the games kind of out of the box as mm -hmm. they are designed. Uh, there is a, a significant challenge when you are in front of a class of 20 students because there are so many games that are kind of designed to be played by an intimate group sitting around a table. Um, and so, you know, one of the, the things that I've really tried to kind of uh, make some progress in is, you know, how do you take games that are typically designed for four players, mm -hmm. six players, yeah. and when you have a, a group of 20 students in front of you, uh, obviously there are kind of things that you have to do to either tinker with that game, or maybe what you do is you start kind of pulling them apart, kind of looking at the mechanics and use your own kind of creativity to kind of uh, bring those uh, mechanics together in some new configuration that works into something that you can play with uh, uh, a group of 20 students, or, or that you can manage, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with students kind of breaking up into different groups. Um, you know, one, one of the, the games I've also used in uh, English uh, class is the game Microscope by Ben Robbins, which mm -hmm. is a kind of uh, narrative building game. And that is, is one where if you spend some time in front of the class uh, taking them step by step through how they are going to uh, play the game, uh, they, they can pick up on that. Uh, and with some help from me as I'm kind of circulating around the classroom, I can have different groups kind of playing that game separately, but be there to kind of help to kind of guide them and steer them when they fall into to, uh, difficult spots or they just don't understand like what it is that they're supposed to be doing at certain points. Right. What was your first role-playing game, Robbie? Uh, my first role-playing game was uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Which edition? Uh, and I think it was the Holmes edition. It was in that. It was the basic in the box uh, uh, edition that I had. Th this was, at, I guess, roughly the same time that Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was first coming out. So you know, I think I, I did that basic thing and then kind of migrated over. And we had the the and I still have those uh, uh, Advanced mm -hmm. uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, books. Yep, and, I'm and looking I also at mine right now. <laughs> yep. And I, I, this was in Mobile, Alabama, and we didn't have a game store in Mobile. So I remember that we would, uh, we knew that there was a, a, a good game store that had like Dungeons and Dragons and other role playing games that was in Biloxi, Mississippi. 
and we would persuade like one of the mothers to uh, <laughs> to, to, ro- to road trip it uh, over to Biloxi so that we right. could uh, go to the game store there. Oh yeah, we have the exact same. I grew up in New England. <laughs> you grew up, uh, you know, on the Gulf. But we have the same the same experience. The reason my friend, my closest friend, and I wanted to get a driver's license was so that we could go <laughs> to the game store in Pembroke, right? <laughs> Where they had Traveler. I mean, they had everything, you know. Wild. Yeah, we, Robbie, we're clearly of the same the same vintage if your first one is, uh, you know. Tracy, what was your first role-playing game? Um, Do you recall? I think Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, 4E or the Pathfinder, three and a half? Five. Surely not. Five? Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. I am, I am like new to role playing games. Yeah, and I guess 5E is older than I think it is. I played Dungeons and Dragons online for years and years and years and then finally played in a 5E game. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 5E certainly has a lot of tone similarities to the games that Robbie and I started playing. Yeah, know, back in the you know in the dark ages, you know, of role playing game design, right? Um, it's a lot more theater of the imagination than fourth edition was, right? Which yeah. is exciting to me because that's what that's what I always liked about role playing games was the ability yeah. to tell stories collaboratively and to uh, you know and to to build a narrative, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and one of the things that that I guess in retrospect, I kind of appreciate about advanced Dungeons and Dragons is that the, that that first set was a strange game. And, and <laughs> that, that, right. I mean, yeah. there very much was a sense that the people who were, you know, Gygax and the others who were writing this were 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 kind of, you know, to some extent still figuring things out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you look at the the Dungeon Master's Guide, the the original advanced uh D&D Dungeon Master's Guide. That is a, a one crazy book. But I, I think, you know, in retrospect, one of the things that it forced the players to do is to, you know, you had to become really active with those games to, mm-hmm. to you know, when you took it, brought it to the table because there was, you know, uh, you know, all of these different kind of pieces, but they didn't really quite uh, fit together. And and obviously, as as the years have gone on, they they've... Uh, They've kind of improved the rules, uh, you know, so that uh, it, it's a much smoother rule set. Although at, at the same time, I think that there's a, a kind of loss to that because, uh, you know, the, the the players and the and the, the dungeon master really, you know, ha- having to kind of deal with the, the, the kind of, uh, you know, uh, fragmented nature of, of some of those rules was really uh, something that kind of had yeah. you kind of like pondering at the table, figuring it out. And there was a certain amount of creativity that was required just in kind of uh, making the game coherent at the right. table. Right. There was a kind of smash mouth quality to some of those rules where it's like, I don't really even get what that rule is supposed <laughs> to be administering, but I'm just going to rule that it means this, right? Yeah. And yeah, you, just, yeah, yeah. you sort of develop a, a sort of a capacity to make, to make quick judgments and right. to defend them and to move forward and to uh, and to care more if you've got the right group, or at least for me, to care more about the flow of the story mm-hmm. than about whether the, the rule is right or not. Right. The rules lawyering yeah. has never been my jam. 
right? Right. Because, I mean, what does Gygax say in the, the first page of the Dungeon Master's Guide? Use this as you will. Tell your stories. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. and that's what's, you know, that that's what was uh, brilliant for me. Tracy, is the is the D&D group that you guys were doing virtualized or is it in a bank? Almost. Or what? I just bought Curse of Strahd for Rule 20. So now I have to learn about Rule 20 and all its layers, like yeah. its GM layer and it's all that stuff. I've used Rule 20 like light, <laughs> um, but this is serious. Yeah. Um, and now it has like, you know, 10,000 tokens of all the possible NPCs, but they're just appearing on the map. So I have to figure out how to make them appear to players and move, you know, right. I just have to figure it out. But yes, right. where Bennett is graduating, one of the students this yeah. year. So we have to, like, we have to kill Strahd before he graduates. Yeah, you're on short time. Right. So we got to, yeah. we're going to fast track it. I think we're going to skip the Amber Temple. Sorry, everybody. Chop, chop. We've got, we've got to get it done. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, I am not playing presently with, uh, with students, but with my, my group of friends who are playing Numenera. But yeah. you know that I've broken they, that they they sort of broke the world, and I said, "Well, in in punishment for this, I'm going to fragment your personality into thousands of of pieces that you basically have to go from different game system to game system to recombobulate yourself." Right. And uh, we're going to play the five E uh, adaptation of a classic. 70s module called Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Yep. You know, basically uh, spaceships and, uh, you know, and gargoyles, right? And right. go, right? Let's do this. Yeah. And let's do yeah. it, right? Um, yeah. I mean, usually, like uh, uh, in the online environment, I, I, I've been surprised at how easy uh, the transition has been with role playing games. I mean, usually I'll have, you know, either Discord or Google Meet up, and uh, mm -hmm. sometimes I'll have a Google Sheet that'll have the characters on it, so we'll have, like, a shared, you know, character sheets through, uh, like, the Google Sheets, and then, uh, you know, sometimes we have an online dice roller that we use. Other times we just kind of roll them in front of us, and it's the honor system. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, but w with that, you know, we, we've been pretty uh i've been pretty successful and the students have kind of made that transition pretty pretty smoothly as well yeah now now robbie it's very clear that that games gaming a game club a game culture right is is integral to the way that you do you know your 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 work right and you shared a little bit about that beowulf game right Mm -hmm. But when you and I chatted after anyone's game, you talked me through this role-playing unit in uh, in one of your, I think it was your junior year class. Correct. That I was like, you you cannot be serious how cool this is, right? And I'd love for you to share with the audience uh, kind of the substance of that. And, you know, I want to see Tracy's, you know, kind of. <laughs> kind of jaw drop you know there's been a jaw dropper from every guest we've had and i'm pretty right. sure this is the jaw dropper for tracy so uh okay yeah well so. yes yeah, so, so yeah this is a, a unit that i taught in my ap english language and composition uh course 
uh, and I have four sections of that that I'm teaching. So I teach four sections of that and one section of the, the ninth grade English. Um, you know, for a long, you know, for many years, I had thought, okay, look, uh, I have these role-playing games. These are really kind of interesting, vibrant texts. Uh, and uh, there is, this is a, a, a medium of expression and a medium of communication these ha- these games have so much to to offer and you know one question i was asking myself i said well well clearly these games are worthy of being taught based on their own merit but what department like you don't have a tabletop role playing game department at at your school right and and you know you're asking well what department would be equipped to teach it and it seems to me natural with, with the way that that the department structure is arrayed currently, English seems like a natural place uh, to teach such a unit. And my my initial um, my initial plan was to teach this unit after the AP exams. So like okay. the, after the yeah. AP exam, it's like mm-hmm. oh, there's like these these you know these couple weeks. Right. And in our school, those are are kind of weeks that are are. You know, you can use them for a variety of things. But the, the college counseling department uh, came to me midway through the year saying, oh, no, 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 we would like to do something else that, that would help these juniors get their college applications together during that time. And so then I was like, OK, that's fine. But what do I do with the tabletop role playing game unit? And so I, I didn't back away from it. I said, no, I'm going to I, I want to teach it. And and I felt like, you know, teaching it during the, the regular course of the year, I needed to kind of justify it a little bit more. And so I, I started out the unit by uh, uh, having the students read some essays that, that would kind of help us to maybe think about uh, these tabletop role-playing games as a kind of literature. And that they are kind of fiction creation systems that mm-hmm. you are kind of dealing with. So, you know, somebody has gone to, gone to, and and written up these rules but then you bring the rule book to the table and then you have this this group of people that are engaged in creating fiction right uh in communication with each other and kind of uh also dealing with the rules so uh we started the unit with uh reading some essays and then i said okay look i have curated a list of uh 12 role-playing games and uh uh, some of them are without a GM. Uh, some of them require a GM or a referee. But I, I didn't say very much about the games. Um, you know, some of the games are The Quiet Year was one, a game called Puppet Land, a game called Inspectors. Uh, I, I had uh, Swords and Wizardry in there, which is a, a kind of reskinning of, of early Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I had a whole host of of different games that they could choose from, and uh, I, I I just kind of gave them the covers and brief descriptions of what these games were about, and uh, I said, okay, tell me your top three choices just based on what I've told you, and then I I kind of sorted things out and got them divided up into groups, and from there, I gave them. A couple days to go through the rule books. A lot of the rule books uh, were short, okay, so that it was doable for them to kind of uh, deal with this. 
Um, the vast majority uh, had not played a role-playing game ever. Um, hmm. So, you know, they, they were like wondering, like, what, what exactly is this thing that we are getting involved in? I did. <laughs> there's a great video on YouTube called D and Diesel, which has the action, uh, the, the the action actor Vin Diesel yeah. in Dungeons yeah. and Dra- Dragons. So. I, I did uh, to kind of give them a little flavor of what what this would look like. I I put that up there and showed about you know a twelve minute clip of that and kind of talked them through. I paused it a few times to say you know to explain what was going on when they were playing this game to say okay they're playing this role playing game, and so they they had you know a couple of days to read the rules. I, I was there kind of circulating around as they were trying to make sense and getting into kind of a conversation with each other, like if they were in the same group playing uh, inspectors like I'd have that that you know role playing group there uh one rule was that uh within a section uh every group had to be playing a different game okay mm-hmm. so I couldn't get one section loaded up on a single game but then uh we devoted a entire week of class to playing the games like so you know they had kind of got things set up they had some understanding of the rules i kind of took them through some of the mechanics when they had questions but then it was like a full week of them kind of immersed in these different games uh these were very tiring days for me they were very fun and very fulfilling but i was like running around the room because i would you know periodically see a group that needed some help right needed some guidance uh but then at the at the end of the experience, they they had to uh, prepare a presentation for the class, right? Because since nobody else in the class had played that game, right, each group had to kind of come before their their peers to kind of explain what exactly this game was, what the mechanics were like, and they also had to do a a report on the game, kind of focusing in on some specific aspect of the game. Or something that that they were particularly intrigued by with the game, with again the stipulation that nobody could be right. Even though, like I had the inspectors group all writing reports about the same game, they all had to kind of tackle it from slightly different angles. Like I said, I don't want to read the same uh, paper over and over again about this game. I want every group, every person to be kind of in- individually have their stamp or their particular approach that they were kind of taking to this game. So they had to do a little coordinating with that just to make sure that they weren't kind of uh, overlapping too much with their with their written reports. Playing inspectors for a week sounds like a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this game. I've never played. That's the one I, th- I think it's the one. Is that the one where you're ghost hunters? Yeah, you're 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 it, it's kind of and- based on Ghostbusters loosely, but but you you start up a little franchise. It's like a little ghost-busting franchise that the characters are involved in. And, and you know, part of the game involves kind of investigating these uh, supernatural mysteries and trying to kind of figure them out. But there's also part of the game is like they're, they're also running this franchise. So, like, uh, the, the one group that played the, the Inspector's game, they had a, a haunting... that They set the game in Central Florida in the present day... And there was a haunting down in uh, Universal Studios involved with one of the Harry Potter rides that they had to deal with. And by the time they, they, they kind of de- dealt with the situation, but then uh, the person who, who was the, the, the referee or the GM for that game was wonderful. And uh, it kind of worked out that they didn't get paid for their job. So 
like they they were kind of left with uh, a franchise that was kind of like against the ropes financially because they weren't actually getting uh, paid for the work that they had been uh, set to do because they created such a mess. But I think part of it was the, the the mess that they created down at Universal Studios and the kind of mayhem that they that they stirred up there kind of uh, led the, the the person who had employed them from Universal Studios to decide that you know it wasn't worth paying them. That is a ridiculous wheelhouse game for you, Trace. Yeah, it's it's made for me. Inspectors is the game. I'm I'm pretty sure Robbie will tell me if I'm wrong. Where one of the mechanics is that you can do like a confession booth recording. Oh, that yes, and you can like any scene, like at that confession booth scene, like becomes canon. So like I could be in the confessional and be like. John picks his nose and eats it and everyone knows, but John pretends like we don't know. And that like is true now. Like you don't have to say in it. I said it in the confession booth, so it's now true. So do you make an actual audio recording? Do you- no, like everyone just hears you like Oh, I see. I see. Hears okay. you. Do but, the- but, but- yeah, but it's, yeah, it's based on reality TV, so it, oh, it's like it's like reality TV. So you break can just like in thirty half. seconds, just like totally spin. Oh my god! Like, I mean, well, that, you thought this was happening, but this is really happening. Right? Yeah, and and I mean, just just the, the mere fact that you can break a scene to do a confessional is is funny enough, but then the fact that you can use the mechanic to actually start. You know, introducing elements into the fiction that you want to kind of introduce is, yeah, makes it that very is insidious. fun. Insidious. Yeah, I, love I need it. To, I've never played it. I'm like, that's that, and everyone is John. Everyone is John are like my like holy grail games that I want to play. Amazing. <laughs> you know, R- R- Robbie, did you find that that the groups, by and large, were able to sort of mechanically manage? The games that you put in front of them, did, were there games that caused them to sort of break down? Could you put them, if I asked you, in sort of an order? If a listener was like, I, that sounds interesting, but I think I, my my kids would be really low the, uh, low experience. Could you put them in sort of a experience or difficulty order? Yeah, you think? but the yeah. odd thing is, okay, I had uh, in my sections, I had two groups playing the game Sorcerer by Ron Edwards, which is like this That's old... That's a hard game. It is a hard game. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I do remember when I introduced it, I said, okay, this game is intense mm-hmm. and it is difficult. But, but I had, you know, group two groups uh, in two different sections uh, wanting to take it on and they did fabulously. I mean, I, I, I was thinking initially, if there's any game that will break... Uh, mm-hmm. with kind of one. a group that has never been it, it would be that one. But they did wonderfully. And, uh, you know, I, there, there is a game called uh, Legendary Lives, which is a fantasy role-playing game that came out in the early 90s. It's one of what is sometimes termed the fantasy heartbreakers. In the early 90s, there were these uh, fantasy role-playing games came out where people said, oh, TSR did it with Dungeons & Dragons. We can do a kind of big uh, rule book with uh, fantasy and do the the same Dungeons & Dragons thing. And some of these are wonderful games. The game Legendary Lies is terrific, but financially it was uh, a disaster for the 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 people who put it together but um right. you know that that one um I, I kind of knew just because of the thickness of the rule book that that would be that would be challenging uh, you know and part of it becomes you know the fact that um the games run so much more smoothly 
when everybody is in. And mm -hmm. I think the reason why the Sorcerer games worked is that you got a small group of people and every single one of them was completely into the game. It wasn't just the, the person running the game, but the players kind of were, were invested in it as well. Mm -hmm. Whereas I, I think some of the other groups, I don't think it was so much the, the game, but the fact that, yes, the, the players were new, and then also some of the players just weren't were as invested in the experience, so that you had people that would have their character sheet, and they hadn't really even taken the time to kind of uh, figure out what their character was capable of mm -hmm. doing, right? So that, you know, one of the games resulted in a, a, a total party kill oh. Oh dear. situation. And, 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 you know, we... We, we debriefed on that, right? It's like, why did this happen? And, uh, you know, a lot of the reason why it, was ha why it happened was just because some of the players, uh, you, know, you know, I asked them whether they had done A, B, or C with their character. I said, look on your character sheet, you had all these abilities. And they, they, they were just like, oh, I didn't take, I didn't bother to kind of read up on what this spell would do for me or what this ability would do for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't, I just, I don't understand that. <laughs> I mean, I can 100% right. see my high school, some of my high school students doing that. Yeah. Yeah. But it just all seems so magical and fun to me that. Yeah. I don't right. understand the motivation for not wanting to know what your character can do. Correct. Particularly if you're sending, if you know you're sending your character into perilous situations. Right. That right. You would, you'd probably want to know what resources they had available to yeah. deal with situations yeah yeah how many did you have a lot of reluctant students did like everyone sort of come along in the end no i i didn't and and you know some of the games do make it kind of uh easier to get the buy-in um you know the quiet year was a great success there yeah. were a couple groups that played that uh there was a uh, a group uh a game called shooting the moon which is a kind of love triangle romance game it's also gmless uh, but but that group uh, initially, I thought they were really going to have difficulty with it. But once they kind of got into the swing of it, they found it uh, really fun. They they turned the game because uh, the game Shooting the Moon it's it's kind of designed to be a kind of romantic comedy love triangle type situation. Mm -hmm. They they were a little uncomfortable with that, so they yeah. they turned it more into a fairy tale. Uh, you know, talking magical animals uh, situation where there was like a new fairy princess that yeah. had arrived in the forest. And one of the characters was uh, a unicorn. And I think the other one was a Pegasus. And it was like, our, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't the the, the love romance. It was more of like like who who's going to be the best friend of the of the, the new uh, fairy princess who's arrived into the forest. So wholesome. Well, tra tra Tracy is, of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Only if the new fairy princess is also Dagon. <laughs> oh, the Dagon, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Then we will be best friends. Yeah, I, 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 love the, uh, I love the sort of the student pivot. You know, like we want this system. We right. want this story engine, but we don't want this story. Right. So the right. engine, right? This is the whole point about gamification, right? The engine serves whatever agenda you want right. the agenda, uh, whatever you want the engine to serve, right? right. And your, your, your students landed on it without even kind of knowing that they had landed on it. 
Uh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, because I mean, re relationship triangles, I mean, th they don't have to be about just romantic love. Right. I mean, there are all right. sorts of, uh, uh, you know, relationship triangles that we can kind of think about in different situations. So, yeah. So they 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 kind of did that pivot. And yeah, it, it worked wonderfully. I mean, after the you know, the first day I was like, OK, they're, they're having a hard time because that game is one where they have to frame uh, scenes themselves like they have to decide, OK, I want to have a scene with my character and uh, your character and I'll invent some other character. And you know that that for people who are new to role playing games, the whole idea of kind of setting up a scene, describing it, right, making clear to everybody what the scene is supposed to be about, uh, that is not something that uh, just falls naturally to a lot of people, right? And it requires a little bit of of training and, and, you know, for, for that group, the first day I remember at the end of the day, I was like, Oh, I don't know if that group's going to get it, but I spent some time the next, the beginning of the next class period kind of talking through, right. How to do a kind of effective framing of a scene and how to kind of get things started. And once I did that, right, they were, they were perfectly fine. For sure. How did your colleagues respond? Like, were the other are other English teachers doing this? Or are you the only English teacher that's doing this? No, I, I am the only English teacher okay. that's doing this. Um, I for you one know, am I, shocked, Robbie. Shocked to hear this news. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I do have other colleagues that are interested in games, but in terms of like pushing it to this, uh, I guess we could say extreme. Uh, they they're they're not quite there yet. But, um, you know, and, and I do think I would have difficulty if if I was like a, a first or second year teacher doing it. I mean, sure. I could imagine yeah. mm -hmm. my 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 chair kind of <laughs> probably scratching his head and saying, I don't know what what in the world do you have in <laughs> mind with this. But, you know, I've, I've been here for almost 20 years. So I, I think that has given me uh, a, a certain uh, heft uh, in the department. And, you know, the 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 chair has always been supportive. I mean, he he is interested in kind of innovative new approaches. So if, if anybody kind of comes to him and has a kind of uh, reasoned pitch that they can make to them as to why this is valid, why this is important, what kinds of things the students are going to get out of it. I mean, we haven't even really touched on like all the different kind of lessons that are kind of spinning out of a lesson like this, right? I mean, that, right. that students are... Uh, there, there's, they're learning something about leadership. They're learning something mm -hmm. about the relationships at the table. They're, they're learning something about the kind of give and take and kind of ebb and flow that has to happen in this type of, uh, a kind of communal type enterprise. Uh, I mean, they're having to kind of drill down into these, these rule books, kind of introducing them to an entirely new, what is for most of them an entirely new medium and to try to kind of make sense of that. Right. Uh, but then also doing it, it, you know, as a group, right? I'm there, but a lot of this was done kind of on their own, somewhat independently with the other group members, kind of opening up these these books to try to kind of parse out exactly, you know, how the mechanics would operate and how this would look at the table. It's a classic experience of technical writing. Yeah. And and you're right that that schools don't generally prepare students. Um, outside of a good science department to do uh, technical nonfiction, right? Yep. And we've all read enough role-playing game books to realize that even the best written ones will have language in there that can be very difficult to interpret, right? Right. right. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, you, you know, in terms of what what worked really well for your kids. Well, that has to be one part, but also the the mere fact of having to of having to collaborate together in an environment that not everyone was sort of comfortable with or familiar with. Right. Well, that that's what life is. Right. Okay. Oh, here we are with this strange problem. We barely understand the problem, let alone potential solutions. Well, let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can make sense of it, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's definitely a communication, collaboration, and potentially a leadership challenge. But, I mean, what else did they get from it in your in your read of of their of their work uh well yeah just uh one thing kind of uh spinning off of what you what you just said uh, i had thought at the beginning that okay maybe it would make a lot more sense and it would certainly make things a lot more smooth for me to just choose one game and say okay where mm-hmm. everybody is going to play the same game and then i can kind of set up here and right give a a introduction that will work for everybody but you know these are high school juniors who are kind of getting ready to kind of launch off to uh college shortly and you know i think yes i mean having every group within a section playing a different game meant that they were responsible largely on their own Right. I was there, obviously. But, you know, if I if I have, you know, four different groups in the same class, they're going to have to wait for me to kind of come around before they kind of figure out what what they need to figure out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, it, it certainly put a heavy responsibility on them, knowing that I was there to guide. But each each game was, in a way, their baby. And, and I was not setting the parameters up for what kinds of narratives that they were going to tell. Uh, there were some games where I would kind of uh, suggest that, oh, there, there are kind of some scenarios that are that have been written and you can look at those. But the majority of the games are pretty open and really rely on the the players to kind of figure out what is the kind of story that we are interested in and where are we going to take that that story? Um, you know, I, I think for many students uh, with some of the games, it really opened their eyes to the power of role-playing and the fact that they had, like, this medium affords them a safe space to kind of explore what it would be like to be somebody else who's very different than they are and somebody who's facing uh, situations that are kind of very different than the situations that they might be facing in the day-to-day, you know, in their day-to-day lives. You know, and some of the the games are, are really completely fantastic, but there were others that were kind of set in the here and now. And so those games in particular could, uh, you know, veer pretty close to home and, mm-hmm. and, and hit pretty hard. Um, I, I should also say that, that a, an important part of setting all of this up 
was a discussion of safety and kind of making mm -hmm. clear to the students yeah. that this is a medium where, you know, you could even be playing a lighthearted game where it could maybe veer into some territory that somebody at the table is not going to want to kind of uh, explore. And so, you know, we, we did go through the, the kind of safety protocol. And I was, you know, I was happy afterwards that, you know, some of the groups talked about how that those kind of safety measures like setting up certain lines and uh, veils and, you know, uh, people being comfortable at the table, kind of explaining to somebody that, oh, okay, this is not the kind of territory that we want to be going into. Um, and, uh, you know, I was very happy that I did that. And I also, you know, felt like with those groups that had to rely on them, a lot of times it, it made them comfortable exploring certain things that they would mm -hmm. not have otherwise even touched, but they kind of knew that, that they had the safety net that was kind of already established and in place so that if they wanted to kind of, uh, kind of drive hard into some territory that they, that they could do that because they knew that all of the people at the table knew what the safety tools were. I'm I sure that was helpful. Go yeah. Chase. And I just, I was just saying that I think, you know, what a great way to set community expectations. Right. Even, you know, in a small role playing game with like lines and veils and the X card. Um, but shouldn't we all be doing that in all of our classes? Do you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think we are setting yeah. like, some community expectations, but just so like openly have kids sit at a table and talk about those things. Right. Um, I think was probably pretty transformative and um, significant to them. Yeah, and I think, Tracy, you're right that, that this is something that we should be doing in our classes and that, that we should be doing in other environments as mm -hmm. well. So that, right, you know, right, I, sure. I think just, just that is, yeah, uh, something that hopefully will be uh, empowering to students as they kind of uh, go on to other environments where they kind of have kind of been through kind of explicitly these kinds of, of discussions so that, you know, that you can uh, kind of set the set the the standard in advance you right. can discuss the lines and veils in advance so that right everybody is taken care of in the in whatever the the community is that you're dealing with right robbie was there a game that emerged from the groups from the different classes as being in their judgment especially well structured or especially well written or where the emergent properties of gameplay were uh, were, were dramatically more exciting than maybe they had anticipated, that sort of thing? Um, well, I, I would, yeah, um, I would say uh, there's a, a, a little game called The Pool, which uh, a couple of groups played. And uh, this is also a game that uh, I played with, with two with some teachers in, in my new fledgling Ludiverse lab uh uh, experiment mm -hmm. but um th the pool has uh rules that run about four pages long and the idea of the pool is uh at the beginning the group decides what the setting is that they want to deal with and then the players of the game write uh 50 word stories or character sketches about the character that they would like to play 
And and the 50 word limit is a pretty stern limit. It's like you, you've got to be really compact in doing this. Mm-hmm. But then it's out of those 50 word character sketches that the players derive their character traits and attributes. What they do is they go in with a highlighter and they highlight parts of this character sketch and then they write down a list of those uh, traits and attributes. And and it could be objects that that are special to the character. It could be a relationship that's special to the character. It could be almost anything. But they write out a list of those, and then they can assign uh, point values to those different traits and attributes. And that's it, right? I mean, then you, you kind of enter the game with your character made. You know what your attributes and traits are. They are not preset in any way, right? It's all just coming out of the character set sketch that uh, the, the, stu- the players have devised. Uh, there is a game master and you essentially when you encounter a conflict or a challenge or a difficult situation, you you roll a pool of six sided dice, hoping to get a, uh, a, a one, uh, which would give you some measure of success. Uh, and then if you if you get a success, you get to make a monologue of victory, which is a little similar to the confessional in that yeah. right, you can use your monologue of victory to also perhaps introduce some new elements into the, the fiction as well. Um, the, the, the thing about that game is that it gets an immediate buy-in because mm. really it is all your character, right? It, you don't have strength, intelligence, dexterity, I mean, right. you could if you if you wanted to define your your character in that in those kinds of ways, but you're really kind of left open to kind of decide how you want your character to be, right? And 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 so th- there's an immediate kind of connection between the player and their character because it it all is coming out of this story. And then the way the game, if you wanted to to continue to play the game after every session. You can add 15 words to the story. Oh, nice! Of your character. Oh, that's awesome. That's or nice. Bank, or you can bank those 15 words, but you have a way of of kind of continuing to build that character, and you can then add new attributes oh, to them. And I've thought this game—I mean, w- one context that I've thought of for this game would be like an inv- an advisory group, right. where you know, at the beginning of the year, you could say, "Okay, uh, we're gonna." kind of throughout the year play this game and maybe we'll set it at a you know fictional high school or something like that because you could use the game then to kind of introduce some of the the kind of issues that kind of come up in the school whether it be right. you know academic integrity issues or uh, you know drug use issues or you know electronic cigarette issues or whatever uh, and you could uh, like you know play out little little mini scenarios uh, at a fictional high school, right? Which would kind of give perhaps some right. some nice distance for the, the the people in your advisory group or your home room, but they could kind of play it out with these different uh, characters that they had come up with. Yeah, that's I, um, a great idea. When, when I was still at Swickley, I taught game design for a couple of years, and one of the students designed a uh, a game where. Uh, that was about the social environment of middle and high schools. And the stats were things like um, relationship with teachers, 
relationships with siblings, uh, you know, athleticism, etc., things like that, right? Yeah. right? And her design was, uh, you know, if she had ever developed it into a into a full game rather than just a model, it would have been it would have been brilliant, you know. Um, what was the name of the school that I was that I had at uh, anyone's game? Jan Brady Middle School. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Home, home, home of the Marshes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this reminds me. Like in the remote environment, I have this thing called Grid View that I can put up, yes. which turns the screen into the Brady Bunch. That's right. right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So, so Robbie, what what are you what are you actually playing now? What are you working on? You know, tell us about uh, Ludiverse, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I have a blog. Uh, it's uh, ludiverse.blogspot.com where I write about games, but especially write about games from the perspective of a teacher and an educator. And recently I have started up an, an, a little enterprise that's part of the blog called the Ludiverse Lab where I'm inviting teachers to come together and uh, play a game with me. And then uh, they're, they're, they're games that uh, I think would be useful for teachers to have some experience with. And so we'll, we'll play the game, but then I'm, I'm always sure at the end of that to leave some time for us to uh, debrief and, and to talk about the game. What did we think about it? What did we think about the mechanics? And as teachers and educators, you know, what value do we see in this game and, and what are some of the the ways that we could use it in the classroom. If we did want to use uh, the game in the classroom, what might be some of the challenges that we would face and, and what might be some workarounds for those, uh, for those kinds of uh, challenges. Uh, so, you know, I, um, uh, and I am avidly looking for uh, other educators and teachers to kind of come on board with, with uh, the Ludiverse lab. Uh, we just finished up, um, this past Saturday, a game called Follow, which is also by Ben Robbins. Mm -hmm. And with that game, uh, we used a playset called The Cure, and we set it in the here and now, and coronavirus was in the crosshairs of our game, and we were kind of thinking about a, a fictional small city, and uh, we were taking on the roles of different characters within the city and kind of thinking about how those different characters would uh, be reacting to this crisis as it as it played out in their small city. Uh, and, you know, next week uh, I'm planning to play uh, The Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which is just a goofy game. I, I think it'll be just a kind of fun comic relief game. But the week after that, I'm going to uh, try to get a, a game together called Our Last Best Hope, which again will be a, a a game where I want to kind of bring the the kind of uh, coronavirus uh, issue to the fore and have a kind of group of of characters who are heroically banding together to try to to battle that uh, that infection. Mm. I love it. Um, I so want to play this. I, w I want to get in there. I, I I haven't played with Tracy for years. Tracy, you and I, I ought know. to we ought to pick a I'm time and go in there. Well, I, I sent Robbie a message earlier this week. I think I might do the Baron Munchausen. Yeah. And the Baron Munchausen, it's, it's a funny, funny game. But, but it's basically everybody 
telling stories and bluffing and mm-hmm. bragging about things. And then they get kind of you get called on the carpet and you have to decide, uh, are you going to are you going to stand for that or are you going to try to kind of like like bluff even more to kind of show this, uh, double down? It sounds, this it sounds like it's going to make me very sweaty and nervous. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think that that you certainly in the quiet year, which we've played a few times, your yeah. ability to to pivot out of a situation that looks like it might be going the wrong way and to like totally change the narrative. I hope so. Oh my so. God. You, I would, to play that inspector's game with you, with that confession. Oh book, my gosh. That, I, that is a mechanic that just My biggest fear deadly. with inspectors though is that I'll just be like a troll the whole time. Well, yeah. You gotta yeah, watch that. Yeah, but I really want to play inspectors sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I'd play that. I'd play yeah. that. Um, Robbie, what time, yeah, go. Robbie, what time do you run your games? Uh, I set uh, Saturday mornings from, uh, and I'm Eastern time, so it's Saturday mornings from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's the best time or not, but I was like thinking, okay, what would be a time where teachers, uh, East Coast, West Coast, Central, that might be convenient for them? So, you know, that's what I've uh, yeah. at least for now, have kind of come up with. And I think what I'm planning to do is, is you know, I'll, I'll kind of run it for a few weeks, take a break for a few weeks, come back with mm-hmm. a new kind of little series to uh, to run. Uh, you know, after this, uh, take, maybe take a break for a few weeks. But uh, there's uh, uh, somebody who played uh, the game The Pool as, you know, uh, part of the first Ludiverse lab. His name is uh, Ryan uh and I'm probably going to butcher his his last name. It's like uh, Windeknecht. Uh, he's a a philosophy uh, teacher at uh, the University of Tennessee, and and he's Neat. been working with with fantasy role playing games to teach ethics. So he has like a, a, a kind of hack that he's put together to kind of uh, use that with his students at the university to kind of talk about. Uh, professional values and and different ethical positions that's amazing Very cool yeah yeah that yeah i love it um so, so we're gonna link all the contact info right so if people want to try to play in one of these games we'll yes. link yeah yep all the ways okay yep um yeah i'll be sure to send that along to you so you've got our last question robbie you've got an educator who comes to you who's intrigued by what you're doing but doesn't get it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the the the, the uh, trademarked service mark of the Game Level Learn community is play all the games, right? Mm-hmm. Thanks to Tracy. And so pick two role-playing games for a, an adult, an educator who's keen to do sort of what you're doing but needs to develop some chops what should they play first first give me two games um okay well i would say what i'm going to give you what they should play first and then maybe what they would step up to next i think you know i i think you would be hard pressed as a kind of first role play experience to beat a game like the pool i mean it is so short it would you know the rule set what they could they could you know, read it in a few minutes, 
kind of understand what that game was about. And I think once it got to the table and they experienced it, uh, light bulbs would probably start popping off in their head. And they would also just realize that this is a game that is so flexible because it really is, you know, a game that could involve any setting, any genre that you could imagine that would be part of it. You just have a group that decides, okay, we want this setting and this kind of genre. We want to play an, uh, an old West, uh, shoot 'em up game, right? It, it would work with that. Mm-hmm. You want to set it into the far future with a kind of science fiction type of thing going on. It would work uh, equally well there. So I think that that would be a good start. Uh, and then I, I, you know, for a second game, uh, I was thinking of something like uh, there's a game called My Life with Master mm-hmm. by a guy named Paul Zega. My Life with Master is uh, kind of has as its background books like uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, and those types of stories where you have some type of uh, domineering, deranged master or mastermind uh, with, with minions who serve him or her. And, and the players of the game play these minions who, who the master sets off to do. I mean, the, the, the idea of the game is the master sends the minions off to do the dastardly deeds, right? Right. right. And, and the, the minions are trying to kind of resist that, and they are also trying to win the love of somebody in the community. And the game starts off, and they, they are complete failures, right? I mean, the, the, the cards are totally stacked against them initially, so they try to resist, but they know that they're going to fail at kind of resisting the master's orders. But if they can build up some love from somebody in the community, uh, they can finally kind of get enough uh, resources to successfully oppose the master. And the reason why I, I re- reference that game is, uh, I mean, first of all, it's a brilliantly designed game, but, uh, you know, it, it will open up somebody's eyes mm-hmm. to a, a certain type of literature, and it will, you know, just mm-hmm. reading the rule book, you kind of understand so much more about the literature that forms the background of that of that book. And, and it also has some real psychological punch to it. I mean, uh, Paul Zega, who wrote the game... Uh, he was going through a difficult relationship and it was a rather abusive relationship that he had been working through when he was designing the game. And so you have this also this real psychological punch that it carries as wow. well. Yeah. I have, I have read it, but I've never played it. Um, maybe, uh, maybe the next, uh, group that you get into Ludiverse that has some uh, experience, maybe. Yeah. Right, Trace, you want to give that a go? Oh my gosh, I would love to be a minion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> I'm going to resist the temptation. Uh, Robbie, how would uh, how would a listener get in touch with you? What are your contact informations that you wish to share and what okay. have you? Uh, yeah, so I have my blog, which is ludiverse.blogspot.com. Right. And uh, you can see what I'm I'm into, what I'm writing about, thinking about, and you can contact me through that. 
my email is robowist, R-O-B-O-W-I-S-T, at gmail.com. And you can also get, get in touch with me through in Twitter through uh, that RoboWist uh, tag. I think I'm the only RoboWist uh, flitter, flittering around the, the Twitter universe. So <laughs> Nice. And we'll put all those in the show notes, yeah. too. Just yeah, it'll case. all be in yeah. the show notes. Tracy, how would an audience member get in touch with you? I can't do uh, it anymore. There's too many letters. Yeah, it's my name. We'll put it in the show notes. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, my last name is Wozenegger. Um so TL Smith at <laughs> at gmail.com. Right. Uh TL Wozenegger at gmail.com in the show notes. Um Facebook. Um I'm just Tracy Wozenegger. Um we have the Game Level Learn Facebook, also Game Level Learn on Discord. Yep, gamelevellearn.com. Um, yes. Right? You know, where there's um writing a uh a monthly series right now on the 25 seminal books in the bibliography of game-based learning that you ought to that you ought to read. So I've only got a couple up because I've just started, and because of our that's good because I'm on my last book. So yeah, I mean the two that I have put up there so far would you would both both of them you would you would really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm John Cassie. Uh, John Cassie at gmail dot com. Uh, I am on Facebook as well, Jonathan Cassie, at John Cassie on Twitter, uh, and uh, GameLevelLearn.com. Dot com. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to playing Robbie with you at some point in the, uh, you know, in the near future. And I hope that your, the game groups that you're doing with your kids are well sustained in yeah. this weird time. It's brilliant. You're inspirational, man. Yeah, well, uh, that th- the students uh, are so energized by it, and they and they energize me. I mean, I I've gotten so much out of the the game club and what they kind of bring to it. I've got you know students who I show a little bit about what it takes to to be a game master, and then they go off doing it. And I I right. you know one of the nice things right now is I'm a player in a game. I have a a brilliant student Yay. who is kind of. Uh, bringing a lot of good stuff to the table, and it's uh, yeah, nice. very uh, enjoyable and fulfilling experience for me being on that side of the table with the students. Nice, awesome. uh, brilliant. Yeah, Robbie, it's been so great to have you on the show, and uh, I look forward to you coming back to visit. Uh, you know, next year uh, or before when you uh, we get out of this uh, this situation, and you've got four or five more plays of Ludiverse under your belt. And you sort of have a, all right, here's what I've sort of learned from this and how we're going to proceed. Okay? Okay. Sounds Brilliant. good. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye, Tracy. Bye. Oh, wait. I'm just going to send you a Discord link. Okay. Uh, input. And uh, so, Tracy, I'm starting, right? Yeah. Okay. So we don't have to synchronize. So I'm just going to three, two, one us in. And then, okay. Uh, okay. You have to do it like Wayne's World. Three, oh so much so much end of the podcast material comes from the first minute of the show okay yeah we have the goofiest pre-show in all of podcasting okay tracy you ready